You're listening to the Annuity Agents Podcast with Bill Broach and Anthony Owen, co-founders of Safe Money Radio Marketing and regular contributors to ThinkAdvisor and other industry publications. Bill is a 100-plus million-dollar annuity producer, co-founder of Annuity.com, and an internet branding and reputation expert. Anthony has helped agents and advisors across the country achieve annuity production premiums in excess of $20 million per year and is president of Annuity Agents Alliance and Annuity Innovation Systems. Each week, Bill and Anthony update you on the annuity business with marketing, sales process, and case design strategies based on actual practice, not theory. Notes for this week's podcast can be found at annuityagentsalliance.com. This podcast is for licensed financial professional use only. Okay, everybody, welcome to today's podcast. Uh, Sorry for the uh, one-minute late start here. We had a little problems with the internet, but uh, uh, Bill and I are going to go ahead and start, get things going here. So, Bill, go ahead and take it away. You know, uh, thanks, Anthony. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to our podcast. And, uh, uh, just a couple of things. Next week, uh, we're all traveling, and uh, our open mic podcast will not be available next week. We'll be back the following week. And uh, speaking of growing, Anthony, let me hand it back to you and tell you all the stuff that uh, you're using for media platforms. Well, uh, you know, our podcast is being distributed now in a big way. Uh, we're on LinkedIn. We're on Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> did I say Twitter? <laughs> we're, on, we're on Twitter. It kind of tells you that I probably have someone helping me out with this. <laughs> but, <laughs> we're on uh, Twitter, uh, Facebook, YouTube, uh, Podbean, uh, iTunes, uh, everywhere. And I've been getting a lot of uh, people uh, telling us that they're hearing us in different locations. Uh, whatever location you're listening to us on, you know, feel free to uh, like, subscribe, uh, follow, whatever the uh, system requires you to do. It definitely helps us out and it helps you get notified. Uh, our goal here is to provide all this information to you and make it convenient so you can listen to it in your car or wherever you are. So. Uh, thanks yeah. for uh, tuning in. All the people that have tuned over into our uh, talks every Thursday over the years, it's uh, it's great to see this uh, getting propagated and uh, well, becoming a little little bit more legitimate. <laughs> indeed, it is. Well, let me let me start out this morning with an inflation update. If you have me on the notes, this was added uh, at uh, kind of the last minute on it, but the uh, the consumer price index just released the factors on it. And right now, one of the things we've talked about uh, over the last few weeks, how important it is to talk to your prospects and clients about it, about inflation planning. So the dollar in the future is uh, the same as the dollar is now. And inflation, of course, is difficult to plan for, but it is part of our existence and part of our, our retirement plans. So right now, uh, the, under the Consumer Price Index, just released their factors, and it's the highest rate of inflation increase they've had in 13 years. So that's why you're seeing reflected in the stock market drop, which is stock market volatility. It's all over the place, in case you've been watching, which means that our products, you know, bring stability into it. The question is pretty simple. If you have the interest rate of 4.2% per year, 
if it's jumped to that, and we're returning 4%, say, in a conservative return on the, on the fixed index annuity, you know, this doesn't quite cover everything. You kind of see it slowly slipping away. Then you add the other factors that come into play as you retire, like medical expenses, so on and so forth. Then layer that with risk. You you know, folks that want to stay in the in the volatile situation on the stock market, you layer the fact that you have out of pocket expenses for medical costs. You have a, a stock market all all over the place, and you have our conservative growth at say four percent or whatever it is. It's always on that side. You know, it's a, it it makes retirement planning so a little difficult. So here's a great little tip for you as far as I'm concerned. Instead of looking at uh, when you're talking to a prospect, instead of focusing on what the future values would be, focus on what the future income will be. Because really, the best use of these products for people who are doing retirement planning is probably income. And you can use uh, Annuity Agents Alliance uh, Income Illustrator. You can use that to compare all sorts of stuff. So focus on the real benefits. It's the Benefits are these are safe money, free from market risk, but more importantly, they provide income a person can never never outlive. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in bonds. But the other thing I want to segue into is ageism. And uh, if you think about ageism, and that's as we age, that's the ageism's definition, which is on the notes if you read this, prejudice or discrimination on the grounds of the person's age. And uh, Al Martinez and I have been great friends for a long, long time. Uh, we've been together maybe 20-plus years, I suppose. And uh, recently, uh, he he had an accomplishment that very few people get to do, and we've talked about it a couple of times on Open Mic. But, you know, he climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, and that, that in itself is uh, amazing, almost 20,000 feet in elevation he climbed. And so he he has uh, written an article about ageism that's re I think really important, and I've included the link on on there. But I want to tell you that as we grow, discrimination is rampant as one ages, as a person ages. And Al and I are in the same same age group, 74, and I have witnessed that myself. And here's a really good example for it: walk on a golf course as a single and look for a game. So the pro might sign you up to somebody or assign you to somebody. But I found that if the, guy, if the group I'm playing with are 30s or 40s, so on and so forth, they don't have a lot of interest in me. And it has to do with uh, their perception of life at that age and what my perception of life would be far different than that. So ageism and discrimination really exist. So when you talk to your, your prospects and clients as you're going through there, you know, a lot of people say, well, I'll just get a job, so on and so forth. It's difficult. It's difficult to get out of bed in your 70s and 80s and go to work someplace. And the job market is very limited to that unless you're highly skilled or highly authorized or licensed to do a specific task. So jobs later in life are really tough. So I put the link in here for ageism from Al's article. I hope you'll take a chance. Or take, hope you take a second and uh, click on that and read down through it because this is a really good discussion point with your with your folks, your prospects and clients as they come along, because health health expense risk, which is covered in this, is is very very difficult, and not understanding how annuities work. Most people don't have a clue how they work. And remember our old line that we've used lots of times: the longer you live, the longer you live, because as you age, your life expectancy based on 
on uh, the uh, on charts extends on out. So this is a really good article, and Al did a great job on it, not only climbing Kilimanjaro, but also his point of view on this thing. So great stuff in here and stuff that you can easily use for your prospects and clients as you build in your your, your talk and pitch to it. So anyway, 19,341 feet. Think, think of that. Think how much oxygen it takes to get that high and so on and so forth, but he made it. Uh, with that, Anthony, I'm handing it back to you. You know, I wanted to talk a little bit about transferring funds. This is something that we run into uh, quite a bit, actually, where even agents that we've worked with for years seem to trip over the whole transferring funds issue and working with 1035s or things like that. So I thought I'd just spend a little time just kind of go over some basics of what you need to do to get transferring funds transferred. Um, first of all, don't blame the carrier. <laughs> That's a good place to start. Uh, you know, a lot a lot of times when you turn in business, um, you expect the carrier to take care of everything. And if you haven't done the preliminary work uh, of making sure that the policy is set up to transfer uh, uh, easily, then you put the carrier in a tough situation. It's really not fair to blame the carrier. So, we recommend that uh, anytime you're moving money from a custodian, to call the custodian with a client. And when you speak to the custodian, you're going to ask them some things like, do you require uh, medallion signature guarantees? And we see this happen a lot where someone will turn in a transfer form, the carrier will send it to the custodian that has the money, and then the custodian will come back with the need for a signature guarantee. That could have all been addressed from the very beginning. The problem is if you find that out after the fact, now you've got to go out and meet with the client again, get a transfer form filled out uh, where you can either get a, where you can get an original signature uh, and you could have done that while you were meeting with the client the first time. Uh, we provide signature guarantees so you do not have to go to the bank Simply turn in the application to us. We'll get the signature guarantee applied. We have a process that you go through um, of things that you turn in to make that happen. Uh, but verifying that ahead of time. Uh, also verifying uh, with the client if, you know, if you're doing a partial transfer, uh, this is whether it's a 1035 or whether it's just a direct transfer from any other uh, form of money, qualified money, if the money's in equities and you're doing a partial transfer out of account, there needs to be a cash equivalent amount equal to the amount of the transfer. So if, if you have a $500,000 account, it's all fully invested in equities and you're going to transfer 300000 out of that, the client is going to have to make the decision on what equities will be liquidated to create a cash equivalent. If you send in a $300,000 $300, transfer on a $500,000 account and all that money is still invested, that transfer is going to get rejected because the custodian cannot decide for the client uh, what equities uh, need to get liquidated in order to provide that liquidity. Uh, so medallion signature guarantee in some states with ERISA money, you need to find out if uh, the person's married, whether uh, notarization is needed, and then also verify uh, that the custodian accepts third-party transfer forms, which would be the transfer forms from the carrier that you're putting the money into. 
In the case of in-service withdrawals, it is very rare that they accept uh, third-party transfer forms. Usually they have their own transfer forms that need to be uh, completed, and uh, then you need to mark things like do not withhold taxes, and once again, check for notarizations, and things like that. Obviously, another thing, verifying the overnight address, the phone number, uh, and things like that, making sure you're putting the correct addresses on the transfer form. Uh, when you call the custodian with the client, you might run into some conservation efforts, and they might try and transfer the broker. You need to prepare the client ahead of time. Let them know what the process is. Let them know that the custodian might start to think it's their money and not the clients, and that they might try and do some things to preserve the money. Um, so you need to prepare the client for that process. They, of course, need to give you permission to speak to the custodian. Uh, you cannot uh, liquidate the equities. That's something that the client has to do, um, especially if you don't have a securities license. When it comes to 1035s, uh, you need to be aware that not all outgoing carriers or ingoing carriers will process partial 1035s. Uh, we saw this last year where we had a partner um, that tried to move money out of a carrier uh, and par uh, variable annuity, I believe, and it was a partial 1035. And the outgoing custodian, which is the variable annuity company, would not allow a partial 1035. Uh, and you also have to make sure that the incoming carrier will allow a partial 1035 because uh, they have to be willing to take responsibility for tracking the basis. So sometimes on 1035 money, non-qualified uh, annuity to annuity, uh, the, one of the carriers may not allow that. So you have to verify that before you start sending in transfer forms. You also might want to verify that before you come up with the plan. Because obviously if you have to pull all the money out of the existing annuity versus part of the money, that could change the entire uh, makeup of the plan. Uh, specific, now, uh, recently we had a situation, this doesn't come up too often, but we had a situation where we had a non-spousal inherited non-qualified account. So the son uh, received an inheritance of an annuity, annuity from his mother. His mother passed away, and then him as the beneficiary had uh, the opportunity to receive the death benefit of that policy. However, there is a private letter ruling based on a uh, case, and we have the link in that for you. It's private letter ruling 1330016 that uh, the IRS allowed the daughter of an insured to receive the death benefit of a non-qualified annuity as a 1035, which means that you don't have any taxable event in that transfer. Now, normally, if you receive a death benefit, you have to uh, receive that over five payments, no, no more than uh, five years, I'm sorry. Um, but in the case of uh, this private letter ruling, um, the it was done as a 1035, and uh, what that allowed that daughter to do was to stretch out uh, that uh, those gains over her lifetime uh, based on RMD uh, tables. 
Um, there's only one carrier that we know of that will do this, and it's Global Atlantic. And they have their own forms specific to that. So in other words, they're taking the private letter ruling and uh, interpreting it as applying to anybody that wants to do that. Now, a private letter ruling is a private letter ruling. It only applies to the person that applied for it. Uh, so most carriers have decided to step back and not allow this to happen, uh, but Global Atlantic has decided that uh, based on uh, precedents that uh, they feel safe enough to do this. So the Choice Accumulation 2 is the product that allows uh, a non-qualified inherited uh, 1035 stretch. And so um, that's the only place to go for that. Like I said, special forms, I've included the forms in, in the notes here. If you need help with that, any case design, run into those cases where you have a, a someone receiving money from a parent, non-qualified money, and they want to stretch out the gains on that and reduce the immediate tax liability, then uh, let us know and we can take care of that. Bill, back to you. Thanks, Anthony. Um, you know, we one of the things I've always loved about uh, our call that's been going on for years is the shares that come from uh, from crew members or people who listen to us or so on and so forth. And Mike Reedmeyer sent me a was on a call somewhere else and and was listening to information about bonds and sent me a the the basis for their their discussion was a link that was posted on Investopedia, I think. And I read that through there, and I realized that it's, some of it's fairly out of date. And I do talk a lot about bonds on, on the podcast, a lot about it over the years. Uh, and I'm not going to go through this entire thing, but I'm going to make a few – I'd like to make a few points on it. If you get a chance, read the notes. There's a lot of, a lot of information about bonds on here. My favorite thing about bonds is the SEC, the Security and Exchange Commission, is my friend. Uh, if you go to their website, and I enclose a link on here, and look what they say about bonds, it is uh, it's the best third-party information you can find. Uh, so I wrote these rules about bonds, and the first thing you need to know is that uh, bonds are, de are dead instruments. That's repeated in the SEC to make sure you know that. And the bond, the issuer of the bond is the guarantor. So <clears throat> if I say, hey, I'm going to sell you Bill's bonds so they don't pay you 12% interest, man, all of you guys and gals are going to run out and buy those bonds. But what's backing it up? What if I can't pay? And so the guarantor of the bond becomes vital, vitally important on it. <clears throat> There's a little uh, teeter-totter design on the note, or on the uh, illustration I threw into the notes for you, too. If bonds are, remember, bonds are rarely held to maturity by the original purchaser of the bond. They're traded constantly, and the value of bonds changes every second of every minute of every day because the valuation of bonds in the secondary market is based on, on mostly on general, general interest rates. Occasionally, uh, uh, the other effect on it could be credit rates or credit changing, so on and so forth. So they're really quite volatile when you look at them. And the percentage of volatility in relationship to the yield, I think, is far greater than the stock market. So bonds are very dangerous. Don't. You, of course, can buy the safest bond in the world, which are U.S. Treasuries. But the safer, the safer they are, and, and U.S. Treasuries have no rating because they have absolutely no risk because they're backed, backed by the U.S. government. 
And the reason they have no risk with the U.S. government is because we as taxpayers have given our elected officials in, con in Congress the ability to raise taxes. And so they can always pay these bonds off through a tax incentive. Uh, the other thing is, uh, uh, when you look at annuities, what, what do annuity companies own? They own mostly bonds. So what, am I, what are you saying, Bill? Are you saying annuities aren't as safe as bonds? In fact, they are because insurance companies use a different formula for their bond portfolio. It's called the 40-year 40, 40 formula, and I've talked about it many times uh, on this call. And I wanted to also mention that this is going to change. So the 40-year the 40 formula means from today, it's bonds purchased 20 years ago by an insurance company in 19 and 18, 17 years ago on down to bonds purchased today out for 20 years. So there's a 40-year span that creates a lot, a lot of stability in an insurance company's bond portfolio. That is going to change. That is going to change to the 60-year rule. And there is talk now of even longer-term longer, longer -term bonds coming. We saw some 100-year bonds issued about a year ago. The longer the, the, that the accepted maturity rate for bonds extends out, the greater the safety these insurance companies are going to have because this bond portfolio is really free from volatility because of this long-term window on it. Remember, bonds or insurance companies are doing everything they can to de-risk. We're seeing it everywhere. And so the longer the bond term and the 40-year rule going from 40 years to 60 years or longer is more stability for the insurance companies. So when you're talking about your, with your prospects and clients about, well, it's backed by bonds, but you just got through tell me bonds cannot be the best thing to open at all. Be sure and remember the stability issue that insurance companies have put, have put into it. Uh, if you're down on there, uh, number eight or number nine talks about uh, rule number nine <clears throat> talks about the safest investment in the world, so on and so forth. And so the the more risk you're willing to accept, the higher interest rates you probably will earn on. Anyway, uh, you go you can go through there. I also included some information about bond mutual funds, and uh, I've had this particular. Uh, article up on uh, our call before, but I wanted to add something to it that maybe many many of you don't know, and that's a, the leveraging that can take place in mutual funds. So if uh, if you have a stock account and you have so much value in it, you can probably open a margin margin account, not maybe not with your broker, but there are lots of margin margin account uh, offerings through banks and through other private equity, where you can borrow against your stocks and you can use that to what? Buy additional stocks. That's true in mutual funds too. So the manager of the mutual fund can leverage the assets held within the portfolio. So if he has a you know, $100 million bond portfolio, he probably can borrow, he or she can probably borrow $50 million on a, on a leverage basis. In other words, they are now expanding their bond holdings, but part of it's a broad money. But remember, when margins are used, you, that means there's additional risk, and the risk comes from what? Uh, movement in the bond market can reduce their portfolio, causing a margin call. But there's also acquisition fees. You know, even if a mutual fund buys bonds, there's still, there's still fees and costs associated with it. And there's, of course, loan interest. So, that's a really good point to know this uh, about this leverage thing. You talk to your existing or future prospects and clients 
about mutual funds, how they work. And this uh, this leveraging thing is uh, it's really it's uh, it can be really nasty. And it's it's very simple and easy to do if you just pull up the of the prospectus, you can see if they have permission to do it, and they all do, so it's on there. Anyway, there's a whole lot more on here about uh, mutual funds. You certainly can read down through it without me having to go on it. But uh, I really like this um, SEC quote at the bottom, a common misconception among some investors of the bonds and bond funds have little or no risk. They have a lot of risk. They have a lots and lots and lots of risk. And if we, if you have bonds enforced right now and inflation starts to come and interest rates rise, the value of those bonds, which means how much you could sell them for in the secondary market, is going to shrink like crazy. So being in a really low interest rate market like we have right now, being in bonds is probably not the best the best choice. Uh, moving on under David's picture, uh, there's a, I thought, Pretty good from uh, from Pack Life. Uh, Pack Life actually produces a lot of really good marketing pieces, and uh, it's it's ready to gain new life insurance prospects. So that's worth a look. I want to slide on down to under more information. Uh, and what I did is I, I these call caught my they caught my eye the last couple of weeks that I I, I put them on here and it's uh, so it's it's what do these three companies have in common? There's Ameriprise. Prudential and American Financial. And what these companies are doing, look, Ameriprise is tilting towards variable and uh, variable products. Why would that be? If they tilt towards guaranteed products, then they are then they have financial exposure at some future date. So they are de risking their portfolio. And they're putting the risk on who? The risk is going to be the person who owns and buys this product. Prudential, same thing. They're, they're completely de-risking. They're trying to completely de-risk their their whole portfolio having to do with annuities, and they're getting out of the fixed fixed rate and the guaranteed rate, and they're going to what variable based products where the risk is passed on to uh, on to uh, the purchaser of the annuity. And American Financial, which we all knew that is the old Great American, and of course we've all done tons of business with Great American over the years, and I've had the Great fun of going to the home office many times, and the, they have, the same family owns the, the Cincinnati Reds, and it's fun to go to those games and be treated like you're something special. But here's an interesting point. They have now sold uh, Great American, which is going to close in the second quarter, to Mass Mutual. And they are now enjoying a huge increase in their stock portfolio, and the reason why is simple. They are now refocusing away things that have guarantees, which means they're de-risking and they're now going to things that they can increase the premiums on, and that's PNC. So anytime that they can have an ability to change premiums, then they have the ability then to to earn more money and get rid of their get rid of their their portfolio. The last thing I wanted to mention, I thought was really a kick, is Genworth, who's been all over the board on all sorts of their products. They're gonna merge or sell to a Japanese company or whatever, a Chinese company. Actually, I don't remember who it was. But they're getting back in the long-term care business. Now, why would they do that? Why would anybody in the long-term care business? And the answer is simple. The need is massive. The market is massive. And they can come out and they can come with products like all of them do that increase premiums. So now they're going to reorganize. They'll reorganize their cost basis. How they go about pricing these things make it more based on the morbidity table, and then they have the ability to raise premiums 
So really, who's paying for long-term care? And that's the person who's buying the product and who has agreed to allow premiums to be increased on it. So interesting move. We're seeing this everywhere right now, absolutely everywhere through the market, this constant, constant de-risking of it. That being said, look, uh, we're not here next week, and uh, but we will the following, following week. So we're all traveling this coming week. And and thanks very much. Uh, Anthony, anything to close with? Yeah, just real quick at the very uh, end here, uh, one, don't forget Mexico, still time to qualify. Uh, join us in the Riviera Maya. Uh, it's a very easily $2 million qualification trip. It's going to be lots of fun, great time of year, great weather. And then Allianz still has their uh, 25% bonus on the Allianz benefit control uh, that's uh, going to continue through June 21st. So uh, this is a good time to take advantage of that for uh, clients that need a product uh, that, perfect, that, uh, that product would perfect. satisfy. Thanks, hey, if any of you need help, holler. We're we're small on purpose. You can call any of us anytime. With that, I'll say bye, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening to the Annuity Agents Podcast with Bill Broach and Anthony Owen. Check back each week for a new episode. For more information on how Annuity Agents Alliance will help you build your annuity business, go to annuityagentsalliance.com or call 888-742-4368. If you like the show, please leave your rating and review on the podcast channel where you found the show. The information and opinions expressed here from third parties or guests are believed to be reliable, but the information cannot be verified or guaranteed by Annuity Agents Alliance. The opinions of guests do not necessarily represent the opinions of Annuity Agents Alliance or its partners. The prior information does not represent tax, legal, or investment advice and is for licensed financial professional use only.